But last week we talked about how Lot was a righteous man and he lived with his tent set towards Sodom and Abraham we know as a righteous man and Abraham lived in the wilderness. Abraham lived in tents with an altar where he called upon the name of the Lord. Well, when Abraham and Lot separated from each other, that separation occurred because Lot was looking for worldly opportunity. He's a righteous man, but he's looking for worldly opportunity. And when Lot takes view of this field towards Sodom and Gomorrah, it's well watered. It's beautiful. A man can make a good living here. And so Lot went there and Lot brought his family there and he developed his business there. And he became a wealthy man. He became renowned within the place. But Peter said that Lot vexed his soul every day by living around this. We, we find no place with Lot having an altar. We have, no, we have no record where Lot is calling upon the name of the Lord. But he is a righteous man and God spared him from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But when Lot got in trouble and when a kingdom came in and invaded Sodom and that king took the people as captives, Lot was taken as a captive. And that just speaks to us that there are many people in the house of God. And among those people that are in the house of God, for whatever reasons, God and that person knows, they don't really take the things of God with all seriousness. There's just not a gravity about it. They're glad they're saved. They are righteous. They're thankful they're going to heaven when they die. But as far as this life is concerned, there's just not a real seriousness about their walk with God. There are many things that God provides But they don't take advantage of those things. And these believers can oftentimes find themselves overwhelmed by the enemy, find themselves in captivity, find themselves in a particular time of bondage. Not always. Lot wasn't always a captive, but sometimes they find themselves there. And as Abraham rose up and delivered him, so the church rises up and defends its brothers and sisters who have been overwhelmed by the enemy in captivity. God sets them free. They're seeking God. Then when peace comes, they just kind of gravitate back to worldly opportunities, opportunities to make money, build the business, make my investments, and just begin to vex themselves again and again and again in the things of this world. Where we can live, Abraham was more prosperous than Lot, he didn't need the well-watered uh, soils and, and, and fields that Lot thought that he needed. Abraham was more blessed, had more wealth, had more servants, had the peace of God, had the blessings of God on his life. And Abraham just lived in that. And even in drought and famine, Abraham was a blessed man. And so that just shows where two people who know God can live. They can live seeking after the opportunities of the world or they can live in an altar before God. And there's nothing like living in an altar. I mean that with all of my heart. There's, there's nothing like having a refuge in Jesus Christ. There's nothing like having a place, and that place is God, where you can come with your sins, you can come with your sicknesses, you can come with your fears, you can come with your cares, you can come with anything and find a God who is tender-hearted towards you. And he will cover you and he will be your refuge. He will counsel you in the things that you might be struggling with. He'll give you counsel and power and he'll give you help out of his house. He'll give that to you. 
And, and it's available to every one of his children, but every one of his children don't take that. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. You have an adversary. Have you done everything to stand? That, that's, the, that's what I want to say today. And, and I know that this is a little bit repetitive of things that I talk to you about, and it's on purpose. There are things that I believe we must hear all the time. And there are messages that I like to bring before you yearly because I think these are things that we must know as we continue on in the liberty and in the joy of Jesus Christ. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, I want everyone to read this. This is just really good. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, I want to stay on verse 6 for just a minute. He says, humble yourselves, therefore. Why do we humble ourselves before God? There's always a promise in faith. It's not just the command, but there's the promise. And the promise is this, that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Now, listen, we know that God is gracious to all men, whether they're the greatest sinners in the world whether they're in absolute rebellion to God, God is in a disposition of graciousness to them, but they don't always receive His grace. And so when this Peter's telling us that God resists the proud, you know, a proud man, I don't need God. And if that's the attitude of the heart, then God's going to allow you to do things on your own so that you do realize you need Him. Lift your head up. Without God exalting you and you're going to get it blown off. There's a roaring lion seeking to devour you. So you lift that head up and it's going to be taken off. But God will lift you up if you humble yourself. God will lift you up in victory. That's what it means. That God will exalt you. God will exalt the humble in their victory against all of the things that the enemy would try to bring against their life. And even if we've fallen so hard, if we have... You know, if, if we have just fallen so badly in sin or whatever it is, what do we do? Humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves. Don't be proud. Don't make an excuse for it. Don't be self-righteous in it. Don't try to justify it. Just humble yourself. It, agree with God. Turn from the sin. Admit the sin. Lay before God. And God will begin to exalt you. God will begin to lift you up. People may hate you the rest of your life. Nobody, people may not believe in you for the rest of your life. But God will lift you up. God will begin to exalt you because he will magnify his grace and his glory in your life. And God will finish his testimony as it concerns, and it'll be beautiful. It'll be a beautiful testimony that God finishes in your life, even in regards to the things that we may have messed up. So we should humble ourselves before God because he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He, God gives divine, supernatural influence and power. That's what grace is. He gives his supernatural influence and power to those who are humbled before him. So that's why Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore. You need God's help. You need God's power. You need God's spirit. You need God's influence. And so if you will humble yourself to God, God will give that help to you. Thank God. That's reason enough. Faith believes it. Faith acts on that. And so we humble ourselves before God. He will exalt us in due time. Casting all your care. That word care means distraction. And it could be weights, it could be burdens, it could be temptations, it could be lust. Whatever that is, whatever is distracting you from Jesus Christ, 
whatever is distracting you from keeping yourself before him, the Bible says, cast all of that, throw it off of you and throw it up on him. I love that because God's not telling you it doesn't exist. God's not even telling you that you shouldn't be concerned about it. God's telling you, you will never be able to carry this. It will crush you. It will destroy you. It will overwhelm you. It will burden you. I got it. Give it to me. I've got it. And this passage also goes on to say this about God because or far he cares for you. Now, that word care in the Greek means that God has a personal interest in you as an individual. And it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that God says to a group of people, he comes into First New Testament church and he says to First New Testament church, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. But it's rather this. This is, this is what's directly said. That God would walk into a place like this and there's hundreds of people that would be in here. And God would say, I am personally interested in caring for you, Jerry. I'm personally interested in you. So give me your distractions. Give me your weights. Give me your burdens. Humble yourself before me. I will exalt you in due time. I will lift you up out of this. Whether it's the miry clay or whether it's an onslaught of the enemy, God will exalt us. And then he says in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, not some people's adversaries, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That word devour means to swallow whole. So the devil's going around and he's looking who he can swallow whole. And I just understand that that might imply many, many people. I believe it does imply the proud. And the devil is looking for arrogant hearts. And the devil is looking for proud people and proud lives who live saying, I don't need God. I've got this. And, and, and look, maybe even in the church, there are people that believe in God and believe in Jesus. But they're in a season of arrogance and a season of pride. And the devil wants to swallow you whole. The best thing you can do is get your head down. Humble yourself before God. Cast this care upon Him. Be sober. Be vigilant. Knowing that this adversary is walking around looking for people whom He may devour. The Bible says in verse 9, Whom, talking about the devil, resist steadfast in the faith. Now that's a beautiful word. When it says resist in the faith, the, the Greek definition of this is, Your reliance upon Christ for salvation. That's what that means. Your reliance upon Christ for salvation. So it would read like this. Resist the devil steadfast by relying upon Jesus Christ to save you. So how many people would say, I feel like the devil has come against my life. I feel like there are curses trying to be brought against me. I feel like there are great hardships. What should I do? You should humble yourself to God. You should not think that it's just going to pass. You should cast your care upon the Lord. And then you should rely upon Jesus Christ to come and save you. Because he's your redeemer. He's your savior. You're not going to beat the devil. So be sober and be vigilant. And resist him by relying. Jesus, you're, you're coming for me. 
Jesus, you're going to save me. Jesus, you're going to deliver me. Jesus, you're going to help me. That is absolute humility before God. You're not trusting in any way whatsoever yourself. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace. Isn't that wonderful? If there's grace, it's coming from him. Now, there's a perversion of grace. And there's a false grace. And there's a heretical grace. But the biblical grace, God, the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while. That word suffered means passion. It's the same kind of passion or the suffering that Jesus went through in the garden. He suffered. That means he passioned. And he sweat blood. He went through trials with the enemy. He went through battles, spiritual warfare. He went through agony. All right, Jesus did. Well, God's telling you this. Even if you humble yourself before me, even if you're casting your cares upon me, and you are relying upon me to save you, I want you to understand, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to think anything different. You, as a child of God, are going to have passion in this world. That means you're going to go through some agony and some sufferings and some trials and some fightings and some tribulation. You're going to go through it. But listen, the God of all grace. Listen to this. After you've suffered a while, the God of all grace is going to make you perfect. Hallelujah. Who's going to make you perfect? The God of all grace. And the God of all grace is going to establish you. He's going to, he's going to cause you to be firm in Christ. You're not going to be moved. You're not, you might be tossed right now. But rely upon Jesus Christ to come and save you and humble yourself before God and confess this care to him. And you're going to, you might be suffering in it, but the God of all grace is going to come and set your feet Praise God upon a rock. And you're not going to be tossed. You're not going to be tossed. Your feet are not going to slip. And the God of all grace is going to give you strength. The church can't give you this kind of strength. Fellow Christians can't give you this kind of strength. God can give it to you through them. But this comes from the God of all grace. And the God of all grace will settle you. That means the God of all grace will come and calm you down. God will come and give you peace. God will come and he will sing songs of deliverance over you. And God will say, I wasn't too late and I wasn't too early. I was right on time and I'm going to show you my glory now. And I'm going to save it. And God just said, he just says, peace, be still. Kind of singing a little bit of that today. He just says, peace, be still. And all of a sudden you're stilled. You're in peace. Thank God for what he does for our life. And so Peter tells us this and he says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he's saying, Silvanus has helped me write this. But in verse 12, he's saying, I have written briefly, exhorting or encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The true grace of God is found in those people who absolutely depend upon Jesus Christ to come and save them. Not just to be saved, but after they are saved. With whatever problem it is in their life. The true grace of God does not deny suffering. But the true grace of God 
tells us that God himself will perfect us, strengthen us, settle us, and establish us. Thank the Lord. God will be our God. God will be our deliverer. God will be our healer. God is our savior. God is our rescuer. God is everything to us. So in Ephesians chapter 6, in regards to the fact that we have this adversary who wants to swallow us whole, and all of us have been acquainted with him, and what he is able to bring into our life, and the shame, and the guilt, and the heartache, and we've all also tasted the wonderful victories of Jesus Christ, how he overcomes him, how he defeats him. How he comes through for us when we didn't even know how we were going to make it. But Jesus did it. So in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. The Bible says finally my brethren. Finally is referring to the passages that he's written earlier in this book. And we're going to allude to those things. I'm not going to have time to read them. But we're going to refer to them this morning. About what he's referring to when he says finally. But he says finally my brethren. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, I'll say this, for example. The power of his might is described in Ephesians chapter 1. The very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead caused him to ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of God where he is above all principality, power, might, and dominion. That the power of his might is the power of the Holy Ghost. And so Paul is saying, listen, finally... You live in the power of His might. Live in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what He's telling us to do. Everybody may not do that. There might be Christians who go to heaven when they die that don't take advantage of living in the power of the Holy Ghost. And you might have been in the power of the Holy Ghost yesterday and not today. So He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That strong in the Lord is in a viable Fresh relationship directly with God himself. This is Ephesians chapter 3. Where Paul prays for the believers there. And he said, this is my prayer for you. That God would strengthen you in your inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's not just talking about confessing some scriptural reality. It's talking about embracing Jesus who is actually inside of me. And experiencing his love that has no measurement to it. And that's being strong in the Lord. Strong in a relationship with God. Being strong in the Lord means that I'm putting off the old man and I'm putting on the new man. It means that I'm not going to live in disobedience to God or I'm not going to live in rebellion to God or I'm not going to try to hide sin in my life before God. But I want to bring all these things out to God. I want to put off the old man. I want to put on the new man. I want to have an open and honest confession with God in my life. And I want to walk with Him. I want to know God. I want to know Jesus in personal and intimate experience. So that's what Paul's telling me to do. Paul is telling me, not by my flesh, not by my natural mind, not by my carnal abilities, not by my flesh's ability to be disciplined and exercise itself, but according to Ephesians chapter 3, by the Holy Ghost giving strength to my inner man, I am able to experience and apprehend and walk in intimate fellowship with the living God himself. And he can work powerfully in my heart and powerfully in my life. So sometimes the things that we're dealing with with the devil, maybe they go on and they go on a little bit. 
Not because God is unable to step in and do something about it, but we're not walking in a good relationship with Him. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're going to heaven when we die. But we're not walking very intimately with God. And we're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, God wants to do exceeding abundantly above what you can think or ask according to the power that works mightily in you. And maybe some of us would say, you know what, it's been quite a long time since the power of God worked mightily in me. But maybe if the power of God could work mightily in you for just a moment, those things you're dealing with in your life or your home or your family or your friends, Jesus Christ would overcome them in a moment if we would do that. Now, I want you to see this. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain, but I have labored more abundantly. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That shows us that it is very possible for you as a Christian to be in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But what God is wanting to give you, you're receiving it in vain. you're, You're not allowing that grace to have any effect upon your life. God wants that grace to have an effect upon your life, but we're not allowing that grace to have any effect upon our life. Paul said, I labored. I worked. It's an act of faith in regards to the promise. And so he labored in that, believing. And he said, it wasn't even me. It was God's grace in me that was laboring so hard. And I can't even take credit for my labor. It was God just inspiring me and God filling my heart with the desires for this. You know, whether it's a prayer life or whether it's to go preach to the heathens or whether it's to offer my life in death for Jesus Christ. Paul said, listen, I can't even take credit for praying like I do. God put these desires in me and it wasn't in vain when he put them in me. I I submitted to them and I I cultivated them and I, I, I walked in the spirit in regards to them. God did all of this in my life. And so I just say this. In regards to the fact that you have an enemy and you have a God of all grace who wants to help. What is really important to you? What is really important to you? What is it that we really take advantage of on any given day? And what is it that we neglect on any given day? There is a reality of an enemy. Without your permission, with no thought of how it will affect you other than absolute destruction, is set against your life and he never sleeps and he never tires and he's constantly walking through the earth looking for somebody he can swallow whole. And your only refuge is Jesus Christ. Speaking of the devil, your adversary, he is the enemy of all good. He is the accuser of God and man. He's an accuser. He is the father of lies. He is a murderer. He is a sower of discord. He is an adversary. The first sinner. The first rebel. The first to consecrate himself to self-gratification. He is cunning and wicked and malignant. He is the tempter. He is a thief. He appears as an angel of light 
to deceive. And that's where he works best. He is presumptuous, proud, deceitful, fierce, and cruel. He has never been known to be merciful, good, loving, kind, gentle, pitiful, patient. The Bible calls him a wolf, a destroyer, a roaring lion, a serpent. He tempts men. He provokes men to sin. He causes offenses. He transforms his servants into angels of light. He sends messengers to defeat the saints. He hinders the gospel. He steals the word of God that is sown into your life. Lest it take root in you and you believe it. He works miracles. He sets snares for men to fall into sin. He makes war on the saints. He causes diversions and blinds men to the gospel. He causes double-mindedness, doubt and unbelief, darkness and oppression, deadness and weakness, divisions and strife. His power over society and man is historical as well as ongoing. He has brought the destruction of entire civilizations. Noah's world, Sodom, Gomorrah, the Canaanites, Israel, Rome, America. And the list goes on and on and on. You cannot fight him. You cannot beat him. But Jesus Christ can. And so Paul says again... In Ephesians 6, read it with me, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now listen to this. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. My question is this. Are you doing all to stand? It's easy to read the scripture. And maybe it's easy to just say to ourselves, I am. I'm doing all that I can do to stand. And maybe you sincerely mean that. Maybe you're doing all that you can do to stand. But are you doing that all of the word of God promises you to do that you might stand? Are you strong in the Lord? I'm not asking if you gave your heart to Jesus to be saved. I'm asking you. Are you in an intimate relationship with him? And I'm not even asking if you're perfect in it. I'm not asking if you are without fault or you have, you could say that, you know what, I haven't sinned in two weeks. I'm not asking that. I'm asking this. Are you in such a relationship with God that is so intimate that if you have sinned, you're wrecked over it? That's a good relationship with God. You can be strong in the Lord. If you have a knowledge of your sin, John Bunyan, one of the great uh, men and authors of the past, made this statement. There is none so near heaven, so near to Christ, 
as those who are the most convinced of sin. So I guess what he would be saying is that the people in this room that are the most convinced of sin in their life, not that they have sin, but there's still things in their life that God is dealing with them about that really upset them. That you are the closest to Christ. And he said this, none are so near hell as those who have quenched conviction. Not that they admit that they've done something wrong. And and not the fact that they would say, I've never done anything wrong. But they're not convicted by it. It doesn't bother them that they did something wrong. Sin has an awful nature. If you don't believe it, run into hate. It's an awful nature. And so John Bunyan says this. So I'm I'm just asking, are you strong in the Lord? Are you strong in the power of his might? I'm not asking if you can speak in tongues. Big deal. You can speak in tongues and have not love and it profits you nothing. I'm not belittling the ministry or the gift of speaking in tongues. I'm just simply saying this. If that's all I do is look back on the fact that I was baptized in the Holy Ghost six months ago and I spoke with tongues, I'm asking the question, am I as strong in the Spirit of the Lord today? I mean, to me, the great emphasis of the baptism in the Holy Spirit was not that I could say that I've spoken in tongues before, but my inner man has become awakened to the intimacy of God, and I'm moved by His unction. I'm moved by Him. I hear Him. He moves me. He speaks to me. He empowers me. That's strong in the power of His might. I mean, you let the devil come up against somebody like that. That's just strong in the spirit of God. And the devil comes back roaring as a roaring lion, going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may swallow whole. And you've got a great relationship with Jesus Christ that is very, very intimate. And you're convicted about things in your life. And you're convinced of things in your life. And it has humbled you to God. And you need him. And you're casting these cares. And you're just laid out before God. And the devil's just there roaring. I think the lion of the tribe of Judah roars back at that devil. He's on his knees to me. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. I believe that. And the power of the Holy Ghost, when the devil comes with his minions and his demons and his principalities and powers and tells you what he's going to do to you, and all of a sudden, Holy Ghost power moves in your spirit and unctions you, and you rebuke that foul spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Ghost is rebuking him. Curse is thrown against your life, and not you and not your head, and not a scripture memory you've got inside your brain, but the Holy Ghost you've got inside your spirit rises up and says, you are in Christ. You can't be cursed. And you know that. I mean, no devil can come against that. He may try, but the Holy Ghost prevails. The grace of God prevails. The work of God prevails. Are you, I would just say this, having done all to stand, have you been redeemed? Have you been born again? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you value The word of God. Do you value a spirit filled life? Do you value a relationship with God. That is fresh and vibrant. I'm not asking if we go through our routines. And we're still faithful to our routines. And we're still faithful to church. And we're still faithful to our devotions. And we're still faithful to our prayer group. And we're still faithful to our Bible study. You can be faithful to all of that. And your heart's grown cold. I'm asking, are you in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ where you're so desperate for him? I find it 
very difficult looking in the scriptures to see how can a man walk with God and not walk with his church. This is his presence. This is his home. This is his family. This is his body. And, and I'm saying this. I'm all referring to Ephesians because he says, finally, therefore, my brethren. Well, part of the finally is I just talked to you in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm referring to this. Paul wrote about it. But I'm referring to Ephesians chapter 4 when God says that by the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, I gave gifts to men. And what I gave to men, I I gave them to my church. I gave the apostle and the prophet and the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist. I gave that to my church. I gave that to my body for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of that body to grow it up, to mature it in faith, to make it strong. So that that body can do the work of Christ. Not that we might hire ministers who can do the work of Christ. But we as the body of Christ may know the joy ourselves of doing the work of Christ. So if you're not a part of that. If you're not a part of where those gifts have been given to the church and where they're working in the church, you can't receive the benefit of it. I'm not asking if you still read your Bibles. I'm not asking if you still have your prayer time. I'm talking about a vibrant relationship with the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. That church is a body of people that have been called out of this world and been brought in two together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that just simply tells me that in the body of Christ, not everybody's a mouth, not everybody's an eye, not everybody's an ear, not everybody's a hand, not everybody's a foot. So it tells me this, if I'm in the body, if I'm in this relationship of the body, then there's an eye here to see for me what I can't see. And if I'm in this body, there's an ear here to hear something for me that I don't hear. And if I'm in this body, there's a hand in here to help me, to support me in something that I don't have the ability to do just completely by myself. The body gives me that. In the body, there are feet to go in parts of the world that I cannot go into. And so it is the body of Christ for me to be among that, to receive the provisions of that and the blessings of that. A lot of people like to attend. They like to come. They like to go. But not much involvement in that because you know what? The body of Christ gets up under your skin. It's closer than a family. You begin to see things. You begin to deal with things in people's lives. You begin to see imperfections in people's lives. And, and, and all these things begin to go at work with each other. And sometimes, you know, people just don't want that. I just want to go hear a preaching. I just want to go hear a sermon. Just want to go hear a message. Want to go back with my life and vex themselves like Lot all the way to heaven. It'd be a sad thing to wake up one day in heaven and realize that you thought you were doing it all right. And you didn't understand or realize until you got there how much the devil swallowed that he never had a right to. Children, cousins, friends, family, they weren't okay. You thought they were. They weren't okay. And the devil swallowed them up because we did not do everything we could to stand. Having done all to stand, stand there for Well, when I understand the grace of God, I understand that it is God's divine influence and power upon 
a person's heart and mind that affects their life. God himself, his divine influence and power. And so where does God state that he personally operates in? Where it is really, it's not people that are doing it in his name. It is actually God. Because if I, if I want to be able to say as Paul, his grace was not given to me in vain. Then I want to know where God is actually personally working in power and influence to affect people's lives. And so I understand that the Bible is a place where God is personally working and affecting people's lives because the Bible is a living book. It is the living word of God. The Bible is the expression of God's heart, the expression of God's mind, the expression of God's desires. The Bible, according to its word and according to the spirit, is a mirror that shows me myself, gives me the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if I come to it on a spiritual understanding that I want the Holy Ghost to to give me revelation of this, God begins to influence me through his word. And his word gets hidden in my heart and it begins to affect me. It begins to affect the way I think, the things that I might want, the things that I might do. The Bible begins to affect me. Not because I've memorized it up here, but because the Spirit of God has shown me Jesus in His Word. And His Word has become alive to me. So I want to be in the Bible because I don't want to be negligent of God's grace. If God says, Lee, I've given you all grace. I'm the God of all grace, and I've given, gra- I've given it to you that you might stand. And here's my grace then I don't want to sit around and say, okay, God, you're going to give me grace. You're, you're going to help me. You're going to get me through this. You're going to give me counsel. So somehow get that Bible over here, open it up, zap me with it. You know, it's not like, well, I didn't read my Bible today because I didn't feel like it. And I felt so I thought if I read my Bible today, that would be the law. No, that's stupid. Grace acts on faith. And so when I understand by faith, that's the word of God. And according to that word, it is filled with promises. It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. It is health to my life. It will teach me the ways that I can walk in. If it gets into my heart, it will preserve me and keep me. It's the way of wisdom. Then I'm not going to sit around, well, I just don't feel like it and because I don't feel like it, then maybe it's not grace, it'd be law. No. Forget feel. It's faith. Faith gets up. Faith says, God, I believe you. I believe your promises. I believe your word. You've given me so much. And I'm coming in faith. And God, I want grace to work in my life. I want you to influence me. Same with church. Same with church. Well, I don't feel like going to church today. And I don't think, I don't know if I should go to church today. Because if I went to church today, it would be legalism. Or whatever it may be. It might be to you. But I promise you this to the person of faith. They understand that it is in that fellowship of Christians that just as the blood circulates through your body, giving you health, giving you nutrition and giving you life, just as you sit there, then when you are in a body of people who love Jesus Christ and are born again, just as the blood goes through your body, the Holy Ghost goes through this body. And I may not feel it. I may not immediately discern it but in faith I know this God himself is influencing me just for being here and I'm not going to be negligent of his grace prayer life you can say the same thing about your prayer life and your worship life I want to pray I want to worship why 
Because God has given me promises about prayer. He said, if you diligently seek me, I'll reward you. You must believe that I am. And then I exist. God, I do. I believe you exist. I believe you're God. And then he said, that if you seek me, then you shall be rewarded. God, I'm going to seek you because I believe you're real. I believe you can be known. I want to walk with you. They tell me, your word tells me you're the greatest lover. Your word tells me you're the greatest thing. Your word tells me that there's peace in your presence and joy in your presence. God, I want to be in your presence. Your word tells me that if I humble myself before you, that you will lift me up. I can cast all my cares upon you. God, I want to pray. I want to, I don't care how I feel. I don't care if I've got a headache. I don't care if I've got fever. I don't care what it may be. I don't care if you want to or don't. I get to. I want to. Why? Because I want God to influence me himself. And when I'm praying, God himself is influencing me. When I'm in church, God himself is influencing me. When I'm reading the Bible in faith, God himself is influencing me. In whatever ways that God himself moves, then that's where I want to be. It's got nothing to do with a feeling. It's got nothing to do with an emotion. I want to be where God is moving. I want to be where God is living. And the Bible tells me where that is. And the Bible tells me how that life is. And I don't want to say at the end of my life, I treated His grace in vain. I'm not sitting my Bible on a bookshelf and saying, if God wants me to be this or that, He's going to know I'm going to act in faith because I believe in His grace. God influenced my life. Influence. Do you understand what I'm saying? So have you done all to stand? That means you stand in the power's might. That means you stand in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. That means you live in His Word. That means you live in the fellowship of His church. It's not a place you visit. It's a place you live. These people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you go, I'll go. I'm committed to you. You're committed to me. We're going to suffer together. We're going to cry together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to rejoice together. But for God's sake, we're going to be together. Because He put us together. And we're a body in that. Have you done all to stand? It says this in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm almost through, but I want you to hear this. In Ephesians chapter 4, you know, and sometimes people just fight. I can discern it even now. People just fight this word from affecting their life. I can just discern that. People in here just like, I'm not going to let this affect me. I like my life. I like the way it is. I got enough of God going to heaven when I die. I'm not going to let this affect me. And listen, I believe God loves you so much. I love you so much. God wants to bless you. Do you know when the Holy Ghost brought that church together in the book of Acts, He created an environment for them to live in? That environment's called the church. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that they continued in. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread together. They continued in it. Why? Because this was heaven on earth. And this is where I'm going to live and this is where I'm going to be. Let me give you this testimony because, you know, all of this is in the Spirit. And he says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. And, I, you know, I just believe that the words we speak should be words such that God can influence our life through our words. 
And then he says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. All these things that he lists next are things that are not to be in our life. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting. They're not convenient but to give thanks. But, but the point of this is that we should be, and, and I just want to say this, because there are so many things that the Bible talks about, so many things we could talk about. And I'm going to give you a little testimony. But we should be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about sensitive, like, oh, you're so sensitive. I'm just talking about discerning of Him. Discerning. When He's grieved. When he's wounded, when he's hurt, because there should be a desire in every one of us that I don't want in any way my life to restrict the Holy Spirit. Because it is not that I memorize all these things that I need to do. If, if I can walk in a freshness with the Spirit, he will, he will teach me. He will guide me. He'll guide me in his word and he'll teach me and he'll instruct me. And I just don't want to offend him in here. Now, there are many things that I could tell you about. I can tell you about things recent, but I'm going to go back into my past quite some time of how much this, what I just read, means to the Holy Spirit. Um, many, many years ago, I was on the board of a mission. And while, while I served on this board with this mission, and it's an international mission. It's nothing locally or anything that has been locally. Its headquarters were not even in Baton Rouge. Um, I was serving on this board, and there was some significant problems occurring in part of the mission field that we were responsible with. And I was not... Uh, and I was just on the board. I wasn't the head of the board. I wasn't an officer on the board, just part of the board with some other pastors. And I wasn't walking in wisdom. I wasn't being led by the Spirit. I just received information of what was going on, readily agreed that it was wrong, and just took the side of the people that I was with, and we went in there, and I say we... We attacked it. We just attacked it. And relationships were destroyed. That to this day are destroyed. The work in that particular area of the world. Through this mission as far as I know has ceased. And the relationships. And I believe the Holy Ghost was so grieved by that. There are proper ways of dealing with things. There are proper ways of doing things. And so, um, I was fine though. I wasn't a mouthpiece in it. And so, I'm just going about on my ministry and coming home, pastor, just doing everything. And I got an invitation to go to New Mexico and preach in a church there. 
and ministered. And so I prayed. I said that I would be delighted to come. And so I was planning for the trip. And as I was planning for the trip, the Holy Ghost said, you cannot preach in this church until you make right these relationships. You are grieving me. You have wounded me. And at first, I just heard that and I didn't think much about it. Then he kept cutting me deeper and deeper and deeper. He said, you have wounded me. And I said, Lord, they were wrong. I was not. It's their fault. They should come to us. He said, no. You be like me. Now, I'm, I'm nothing like him. And I mess up all the time. And I'm sure there are people in this room that could say, yeah, well, let me tell you about this with him. Let me tell you. I'm, I'm sure. And you could just get in line. Everybody can have your time with me. I'm just telling you about this. It's very real. Very tremendous time. There was two men that I had to talk to that were in regards to that mission. And there was one man that used to be in our church who had a an unnatural affection for me. And it just did not go well. He left the church. And his family left the church. And it just didn't go well. So th- these were three men. That in my spirit, the Holy Ghost was telling me, I'm wounded. And eventually, the Lord got, got me. And I said, if this is you, I'll do it, but you've got to help me. And so, that day, this is about a week and a half before I'm leaving for New Mexico. That day, I walk out of my house. I hadn't lived in this house very long. This particular fellow that used to be in our church did not know where I lived because we had moved. And I walked outside our house, our front door, and he is standing in our circle. If y'all been to our house, he's standing in our circle looking at my house like that. And I don't think he saw me. He may have. I, I ran back in the house. I said, Carla, do you know who's out there? I mean, do you know who's out there? And she said, well, you told me God's been dealing with you about it. Go deal. I don't want to. I don't know if this is God. I don't know if this is God. Oh, please, let me back up. He wasn't in the circle staring at our house. He was across the street in another person's yard. So he wasn't in our circles. And then I went, I was in there telling Carl, and then I said this to her and God. All right, if it's really the Lord, let him be standing in the circle looking at our house. That God honest truth. That's what I said. And that's when I walked out and he was standing in the circle looking at our house. Well, he saw me. I couldn't do anything about it. I walked up to him and I don't remember my exact words, but I said, listen, I know I've offended you. And we're Christians. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I don't believe that this should go on in the body of Christ. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. We should be able to see each other in town. And as brothers, we should be able to love one another, be glad to see one another, and not duck behind the next shopping aisle at the store. And we hugged and we forgave each other and we've seen each other since then and it's just been fine. Thank the Lord. But the other two guys don't live in our town. One doesn't even live in our country. And so this other fella 
that I was supposed to meet, I got an email. And in my email the next day, it said the man's name and his phone number. Nobody knew this. On my email, his name, his phone number. And I knew it was God. I called him up. And I said, uh, my brother, I, I would like to see you. And um, I, if you would, would you please meet me? I'll meet you anywhere you want. So I drove to New Orleans. And we met at a restaurant. And I sat there. And I said, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed of my behavior. I'm ashamed of my actions. I don't believe that we serve the cause of Jesus. And you as well, and he was part of the board. I said, you as well have been very hurt over this. And I want you to forgive me. And he began, this is one of the toughest men I've ever known in my life. He began to weep. He cried. He said, you're the only one who has even tried to contact me. And he said, I forgive you. And I thank you. You've given me hope again. And so now we're leaving. The next guy lives in Mexico City. Mexico City's got like 15 million people in it. I have no idea of the man's address, the man's phone number. I know nothing. And so I just tell God, if this is you, and I can't deny it because of these two divine appointments I've just had. God, I'll, I'll do this, but I, I don't even know how to go about doing it. And so we pack up the car. We're driving to New Mexico. We get to San Antonio in the evening. And we're going to stop and go out on the river walk and have, have dinner. And so we're walking through the mall in San Antonio. And I open the doors to the river walk. And I see this woman's eyes. She has beautiful eyes. And I said, I don't know one person in the world that has eyes like that. And I looked next to her, and there he was. The man that lives in Mexico City. He got up from his table, and this was one that we really hurt. He got up from the table, somewhat cautious, but somewhat approaching me as I was approaching him. And before we even got near to each other, we both started weeping. And we started talking at the same time. And I asked him to forgive me. And he said, Lee, i got to tell you something. We're on our way to Morocco to serve as missionaries. God wouldn't let me go until I made things right with you. I didn't know how it was going to happen. And I was sharing the same thing with him. And God had us meet on a river walk in San Antonio where two grown men, two grown Christians were hugging each other and weeping and crying and forgiving one another. And God released us, and the Spirit of God was just free to move. There's so many things in our life that are messed up. And I'm sure there are people in your life that would love to tell you what all of yours are. But the thing that you have to give attention to is the thing He's touching. And the thing He's asking you to deal with. Because He gives you the power to do that. And He gives you the grace to do that. And he gives you the strength to do it. And to openly and readily lay things before him. There is an enemy in our life. And the one thing I know. I'm desperate for Jesus. People say. I'm so busy. 
I've got so much going on. I just don't have enough time. You know what? I'm too busy not to. I'm scared without Jesus. I want to do all I can do to stand. And then I want to stand in the power of his might. And I want to depend upon Jesus to save me. Save me. Save me. And I want to just be humble. And sometimes he says, I will exalt you in due time. I say, you know what, God, that's okay. I don't even want to be exalted. Just keep my head down. I don't care for that because people just shoot it off. I just want, no, I'm not exalting you. I'm exalting my testimony. I'm exalting my testimony. So I say this to my precious family. Have you done all to stand? He's given you the grace. He's given you the provisions. Out of faith, press on in those. Live in such a power of His presence and Spirit.